Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 22. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 22. We are now getting close to the end of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry as portrayed in the Gospel Record of Luke. We are now coming to the night before, the day and the night before Jesus Christ is going to be arrested, put on a false trial, be crucified on a cruel cross, and buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later from that, Jesus Christ is going to arise again from the grave. And as we approach this, we can see that Jesus Christ is going to dismiss all of the masses, and he is going to spend this last evening with the twelve, soon to be the eleven, to give them the last minute instructions and to spend time to observe the Passover meal. And with this, he's going to give the instructions that is often called the Last Supper, and we often call the Lord's Supper or the Memorial Supper. But we see the basis of it in history here in the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 22. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 1. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 22 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad. And covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of the unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready." And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any or any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup 
and gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them and said, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And if you would notice that many times a word is repeated throughout this gospel record of Luke chapter 22, the first uh, occurrence of it in verse 1, Passover. And over and over you're going to see this word Passover. 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 And with this we're going to call this the Passover meal. Other people call it the Last Supper, but for our sake we're going to call it the Passover meal. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're asking that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would help us to have understanding as we open up your word now, that we could see this example that you gave, the instructions, and that we could learn what you meant by this and by this ordinance, by this setting up, and what it does for us as the New Testament church is this local church what it does for the health and life of this church. I'm asking that we would be willing to examine ourselves and be willing to be as thoroughly right with you as possible, that you may get the glory and honor from everything. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number one, it quite simply gives the setting. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The historical date is going to be between Wednesday and Thursday. Remember that the Jewish day began at sundown. So it's going to begin on Wednesday, March 30th of AD 30. And as soon as sundown hits, it's going to be April 1st of AD 30. And so it's going to take place between Wednesday day, as soon as the evening hits, Hits, it now becomes Thursday. Now the Passover was an important event in the Hebrews history. It was an event that was supposed to be set down as a memorial to remind the Hebrew people of how God delivered the Israelites from the nation of Egypt. Remember that there were many plagues that went across Egypt. The very last one that God killed the firstborn of every person that was in Egypt unless... The people were to take the Passover lamb, kill the lamb, and they were to take the blood and they were put it on the doorpost, on the door frame. And when God came to them and saw the blood applied, he would pass over them. Now since this time, this principle remained that they were supposed to observe the Passover every year. The Passover was the biggest holiday for the Hebrew people. This was the big event. This was the main event. And God had made it a big event because the Passover lamb was a picture of the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who had his blood shed. And if his blood is applied to you, God will pass over you and you will have life eternal. That God did this way to provide a way of escape past death. Now, this day 
is recorded in the passage, this day 300,000 lambs would die in the promised land alone. That's a lot. All throughout the promised land, lambs would be killed all over the place. And at the same time as these Passover lambs are being killed, the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, are now preparing to kill Jesus, the true Passover lamb. Now, as we set this setting here, 300,000 lambs are going to be killed. So many people flock into Jerusalem for this one event so they could be next to the temple, so they could observe all of this. This is a time where the population of Jerusalem just quadruples, just increases so much. There are so many people here at this time that people are thronging, people are looking, everything is occupied and everything is full. With this, let's go ahead and dive into this day that occurs, starting off with the betraying of the Passover lamb. The betraying of the Passover lamb. Notice with me in verse 2. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, remember that Jesus Christ has been dealing with the Pharisees. Since he's made the triumphant entry, there's now been a line that has crossed. Before this time, the Pharisees would be glad just to discredit Jesus, to set him aside, to get him so he didn't have enough followers. But they have crossed a line, and now for a while now, they have been looking for ways to kill Jesus. The problem is, is that people are worshiping Jesus. They're acknowledging him as king. And so they are having a problem. How do we go and arrest Jesus? How do we do this without us having the mob turn against us? And so they've been contemplating it. And this has been a conundrum for them. Because they are stuck. They can't convict Jesus of anything openly. They can't publicly arrest Jesus. How do we get a hold of him? How do we do something with him? Well, wouldn't you know that Satan had a plan? That... Notice what happens in verse number 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. So Satan found a weak place by Judas Iscariot. Now something we learn about Judas Iscariot is that he is not saved. He's been following Jesus Christ for a while, but he has not been saved. And in the other gospel records, we could see that he is getting more and more bitter. Now, just... Take a pause and let's think about Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who's not saved, is starting to get more and more worried with Jesus' constant talk that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. That doesn't sound like good words to Judas. Judas first hitched up his wagon to Jesus when he was getting popular and traveled with him for three years. In fact, Judas has become the treasurer and he's been getting lots of money from this, being the treasure keeper and he's the one that pays the widows and everybody's so glad to have him. Oh, Judas, thank you. He'd give money to the widow women and they're so grateful for him and he would make sure he pockets some himself and he was the treasurer. And now that he's hearing all this talk that Jesus is going to die, he's seeing that this is a dead-end job. This is not going to work out well for him. He doesn't want to be hitched up to someone who's going to die because he's a follower. If they kill Jesus, guess who's going to follow behind him? He's not liking how this is turning out. Again, he's not saved, so he can only think of things in a worldly view. 
this does not work out. So he knows that Jesus has enemies. His desire is to go ahead and make an agreement with the enemies to spare his own life. He wants the enemies of Jesus. He, Jesus said he's giving up. Jesus isn't going to fight. He knows he's going to die. He's been telling everybody he's going to die. Isn't it funny? It seems like Judas is the only one that's been paying attention. And Judas is saying, this isn't good. I need to find some way out of this. So he finds Jesus' enemies and he goes and makes them a deal. Now, Jesus' enemies have a problem. They can't arrest Jesus. So the answer comes walking in their door. Oh, happy day. Our problems are solved. Notice as Judas goes in in verse number 4. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. So this carries the idea that they had a big meeting. He comes in and says, hey, I got a problem and your problem is the same problem as me. I got a problem of Jesus and if he keeps going this way, he's going to die. You, you guys are going to win. I want to make sure I'm on the winning side so I'm switching teams. Now, I I know his plans. I know his habits. Why do you think Judas knew where to go to arrest Jesus? Because Jesus was in the habit of praying. In fact, he's already prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and Mount of Olives several times already. In fact, even leading into this, he took time to pray. And so Judas knew Jesus' patterns. How would you like to be so well patterned that people knew when you were going to pray. Knew when you were going to talk with God. Knew what you were going to do. Well, Jesus Christ had a pattern. He was going to go talk to God. And so Judas says, let me tell you, when you could get Jesus, where you could get Jesus, and how you could do it without the crowd getting in the way. That was the big problem. Every time Jesus is in public, there's a crowd. How can we get Jesus when there's not a crowd? How can we find out where he's at, where he gets all alone? It's not like they could burst into someone's apartment building to pull Jesus out. It's not like they could stop him when he's teaching in the temple and everyone's listening to him. We got to get him where there's not a crowd. And we've got to get him where it's quiet. And we've got to get him where, he where he's not defended. And Judas says, let me tell you where he's going to be at tonight. Let me tell you where he's going to be at. And you can go ahead and get him. And there'll be no one to stop you. And so they made an agreement, verse number five, and they were glad and coveted him to give him money. They made an agreement that we're going to give him money. So Judas, thank you so much for helping us out. We're going to pay you well for this. We're going to take care of this. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto the absence of the multitude. Again, that was the big deal. Let's get him alone without a crowd. Now, Judas is going to kind of be removed from the gospel record of Luke in this account here. But Judas is going to be here during Jesus' explanation. You think he's pretty miserable when Jesus is teaching and talking about what Jesus Christ is going to do? Do you think this supper lasted a long time for Judas? Yeah. Hurry up. When can we go? Stop talking. Let's go. Let's, let's hurry up. I want to get this over with. Knowing that he's going to betray the man that he pledged his life for for the last three years. Well, as we go on, there's a whole different message on Judas. And then we see here, not only the betraying of the Passover lamb, but we see the preparation of the Passover meal. The preparation of the Passover meal. 
So verse number 7, as we start on that Wednesday, Then came the day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? Now let's pause. Remember what I said before, that all throughout the promised land, 300,000 lambs would be killed. In this time, the population of Jerusalem will increase dramatically. It is one of those places with a big event. There's no parking. There's no hotel rooms. There's no restaurants that are not full. Everything is reserved. Everything is set in stone. There is nowhere to go. And last minute, Jesus says, hey boys, why don't you go find us a place? Where? So sometimes we read this black and white here. But you understand, this is a big deal. There is nothing open. Anything that could have reservations is reserved. And it's, this is such a big deal. Remember that you have to prepare the Passover meal in a special way. It is not just a quick, let's get this done in five minutes and flip a burger. There's something goes along with it. That means a lamb has to already been purchased because there's no more lambs to be purchased right now. They're sold out. If you don't have one now, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. If you go wait to Thanksgiving to get your turkey, you just hang it up. You're going to have to eat something else. Bologna sandwiches. That's, that's the same thing here. If you don't have your Passover lamb right now, it's not going to happen. And his disciples knew this. Where? <laughs> Where do we go? I mean, you didn't set up reservations. You don't, what are we going to do? Where are we supposed to go? It's a legitimate question. <laughs> everything's booked up. No one's going to knock us off. Passover meal is the one thing that they're not going to give up their reservation. For every Jewish person, this is something they have to do every year. If they're going to be right with God, they have to observe this ceremony. They're not giving it up. What do we do? And it's not like there's one or two of them where they could kind of mix in with someone else. For 12 of them, it's going to require one or two lambs for themselves. Notice if you don't mind. <laughs> they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, all right, what do we do? Verse number 10. Thankfully, Jesus has an answer. He's not stumped. And he said to them, behold, when you're entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. Now this has the same idea of when they went to go find the donkey. That, where are you going to find this? And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go find a guy who's carrying a pitcher. He's carrying some water. And this is a servant that's already working for a guy. I want you to go follow him. Now, can you imagine this? The guy go get some water and then there's some strange guys following him. What are you guys doing? We're just following you. Okay. It makes you feel comfortable, doesn't it? <laughs> and so he's walking, finally gets there. It says, these guys have been following me the whole time. They come in and said, um, can we see the owner? I'm the owner. Hey, uh, the master has need of this place. Um, where's the guest chamber that he could eat the Passover? 
Now, this is a big ask because notice it's a large upper room. This is actually going to be the meeting place of the, first, of the church of Jerusalem for a while. This is going to be a big deal. So, in a place where everything's reserved, everything is occupied, to find an empty room, much less a large room, much less an upper room, which is an actual set aside for, for important guests, to find one that's not being used is an impossible ask. But you see, God is always previous. That God had already prepared this man. I'm not taking reservations this year. What? I always have my reservations here. I'm not taking them this year. Why? I just believe God has something different. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I just know that I'm preparing. Well, who's coming then? I don't know. I'm just not taking reservations this year. I'm keeping this thing open. God has need for it and I don't know what for. The servants have been preparing the Passover lamb, preparing everything goes along with it, saying who's coming? I don't know. I don't know. Well then why are we doing this work to making it? Because God has something for it. Isn't God an amazing God? Here he had things set up. You notice the disciples didn't have to do any of the work. They just had to obey God and God already had things prepared. God knew what he was doing. They just had to obey the master's voice. And so they followed the guy. They get there and he says, he will show you a large upper room furnished. That means everything is there. The table, the chairs, silverware, plates, napkins, Food, spices, drinks, everything is already prepared. That's pretty amazing. Now again, we could read through this and get the eyes on the page, but we need to stop and think. This is pretty big stuff. This is amazing stuff. There was a believing remnant who loved the Lord and they gave lavishly. They gave the best room of the house. They had good things prepared, not leftovers. They had lavishly prepared, not knowing who they were preparing it for. But they had it already set up. Verse 13, And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. What an amazing thing. That God had already had things prepared. He had prepared his mass Passover lamb, and they're preparing the Passover meal in preparation for this. Then we see something here. The purpose of the Passover meal. The purpose of the Passover meal. Notice with me in verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus says, this is a big deal. This is what I want to do. I could have done anything I wanted the last night that I'm alive. Jesus knows he's going to suffer. In fact, he's going to mention it in just a second. I wanted to spend time with my boys, with these 12, with you who've been following me, gave up everything. I sent away the crowds. They're all doing other things. I just want to spend time with you tonight. In fact, we're going to see in the gospel record of John chapter 13 through 17, he gives instructions to these 12 specifically. He says, I want to spend some time with you. I want to give you some last minute instructions. I want to give you some help so that way the work will continue on after I'm arrested and put on a false trial and crucified. That the work will continue on. I desire to spend some time with you. 
And I want to explain what's going on here. Verse 17 or 16. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, they don't understand what's going on. It says Jesus is going to suffer. This is going to be the last time Jesus eats or drinks anything before he goes to the cross. He's going to miss breakfast. He's not going to get lunch. He's going to be on the cross during lunch. And he's going to die. The food that he eats now is going to have to physically sustain his body. And the fluids he drinks here is going to have to physically fluid his body for the rest of his life. For the hours that he has remaining. When Jesus is having this last supper, he knows that he's going to die in a few hours. This is a big deal. The disciples may not have thought this was a big deal. You know, it's just another meal. It's another big thing. They didn't realize this was the last time they were going to eat a meal with Jesus. Think maybe they went and just responded a little bit differently. But we don't know the future. We don't know when it's the last time. Jesus did. Verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them and said, This is my body which was given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now I'm going to go in a little bit later and kind of explain these elements further. But he's giving them a picture here. Now are they actually eating the body of Jesus? No. But he's saying, I want, I'm giving you a thing to remember me by. Meaning I'm setting this up as an ordinance. I'm setting this up for you, for you to do later on. And I want you, every time you do it, to think about the body. My body that I'm going to give. In a few hours, I'm going to give my body. And I want you to remember why I'm dying on the cross. Likewise, also the cup after the supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. So, notice as Jesus Christ goes on, verse 22. And truly the Son of Man goeth, and it was determined, but woe unto him by whom it's betrayed. And they're going to start asking themselves, who would betray Jesus? And as Judas is kind of looking innocent, little halo kind of propped up until he could moment to sneak away. And he's going to sneak away in the middle of the night. And none of the other disciples are going to think anything of it. Oh, he must be handling business. He's got to go handle something with the treasury. And Judas goes and betrays them. And we'll see Judas pop back up. But let's turn to the memorial supper itself. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you don't mind turning there with me, takes time to further explain the Lord's Supper. Now remember the church of Corinth was a very wealthy church. And if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you could find that there was a lot of things wrong with this church. One of the things that was wrong with the church of Corinth is the way that they observed the Lord's Supper. That someone had got the bright idea that we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, so it's going to be bring your own food. Not a potluck. Bring your own food, and then we're going to have this last meal, and you get to eat whatever you have. So the rich people would bring lots of stuff, a turkey leg and mashed potatoes, and they're all excited. And then the poor people brought what they have, maybe just a couple beans or maybe some rice. And, and they would look at the rich people and watching them just kind of chewing away, saying, oh man, you should see this, enjoy this. And it was making it miserable. And so the Apostle Paul says, listen, the, the Lord's Supper is not for the idea 
of making yourself fat and happy. In fact, while you're turning there, or while you're there, 1 Corinthians chapter number 20, uh, 11, notice with me in verse 20, and let's kind of walk through this. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not the eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He said, listen, you've got the Lord's Supper wrong. This is not to feed your bellies. This is actually a ceremony where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. If you're hungry, go eat at home. This is something different. And so with this, the Apostle Paul takes time to explain the elements of the Lord's Supper, the Memorial Supper, and explains what each part is about. So therefore, we can have an understanding what it's good for us. So if you don't mind, let's kind of explain the Lord's Supper. First of all, it is commemorative. It is commemorative. Notice with me in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. When Jesus said, do this, this was to be remembering of him. It is commemorative. We take the Lord's Supper to pause and to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. That Jesus Christ's body, it was broken. Remember, Jesus Christ is going to be scourged. It's going to be beaten. His body is going to be bruised. His beard is going to be plucked out. He is going to be battered because of our sins. It is our sins that did that. And we're supposed to take time to remember my sins have a consequence. And Jesus bore that consequence. And verse number 25. After the same manner he took the cup. And when he had supped said this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, this is commemorative. We are to remember that Jesus shed his blood for your sins and for mine. That Jesus died and he bled because of our sins. And the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It is a time we remember what Jesus did on our behalf. That our sins, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. For the wages of sin is death. That Jesus died because of our wage that we owed God for our sin. Not only is it commemorative, it is also pictorial. It is pictorial. Notice in verse 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. This is a picture that we are not actually um, eating Jesus' body or his blood. It is a picture. For example... On my phone, I have a picture of my wife. It is not my wife. It is a picture of my wife. This is a picture of what Jesus did for us. That he died on the cross. It shows that Jesus died for our sins. It is pictorial. It is not Jesus being 
crucified afresh. There are some people that teach that, that Jesus is the continually suffering Savior, that he's always present tense dying for us in perpetuity. When Jesus died on the cross, it was once and for all with everlasting results. Jesus Christ never has to be crucified ever again. That one time in history was enough. So we don't have to have Jesus Christ crucified afresh every time we observe the Lord's Supper. We could just be satisfied with a picture to remember what Jesus did for us. So it is commemorative. It is pictorial. It is also prophetic. It is also prophetic. Notice with me in verse 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Notice this. Till he come. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder that Jesus Christ is not finished yet. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us for our sins, but the rest of the promise hasn't come to pass. He has not taken us up with him to heaven. We are waiting for him to come back. That is our blessed hope. Our hope is not that he just forgave us of our sins. Our hope is that he's coming back to finish the rest of his promise. It is a time that we rejoice. You understand that we may remember that Jesus Christ died, but our rejoicing is that he's coming back. And that we, every time we do the Lord's Supper, now notice it says, for as oft as you do this. It doesn't say that we're supposed to do it every weekend or every quarter. It says as oft as you do it. That means it's up to the local church under the direction of the pastor. I choose not to have it every week because we don't want it to be redundant and old, that the memorial supper, because we're remembering Christ, should be special. And it should be something that we picture Jesus Christ, knowing that he's coming back again. It should always be a special, significant event, as oft as you do it. Meaning he didn't tell us how often to do it, but he says when you do it, it's showing the Lord's death until he comes back. We're looking forward to him coming back. It should be a special event. We also know that it is symbolic. It is symbolic. Meaning that when we have the cracker here, it is not the body of Jesus. Neither does it become the body of Jesus. We're not cannibals. We're not actually eating Jesus' flesh. And when we drink the grape juice, it is a picture of Jesus' blood. It is not blood. It doesn't become Jesus' blood when it hits our mouth. It's not Jesus' blood now. We are not vampires. It is picturing what Jesus Christ did in a symbolic form. Now, each of these are supposed to be symbols of purity. I'm not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 5 earlier speaks about the purity of them and that we're not to add leaven to it. Remember, the idea of leaven in the Bible is always a picture of impurities. That in order to make bread to rise, you have to add leaven or yeast. In order to make uh, grape juice alcoholic, you have to add yeast or grape juice to it. In fact, throughout the gospel records, when it is referring to the Lord's Supper, the Bible goes out of its way to use the phrase fruit of the vine. It never uses the word wine. So that way nobody's ever confused. The fruit of the vine is freshly squeezed grape juice. Grape juice that is not tainted by an impurity. 
and we're thankful for it because Jesus Christ was pure. He was without sin. And each of these elements are to be a reflection of it. That we're not eating the body of Jesus. We know that there are Catholic friends believe that they actually are the body and blood of Jesus. We know our Lutheran friends believe that it becomes the body and blood once it enters my mouth magically. We recognize they're just pictures. They're symbols. They are not the body and blood of Jesus. They just reminding us pictures of it. There's one more element of the Lord's Supper which is probably the most important part and that it is purifying. It is purifying. Now not purifying in the way that when I eat this I'm suddenly magically washed away but notice what the Bible says in verse 27. Wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now we know that in essence we're all unworthy meaning we're all sinners but this isn't what it's speaking about. It's carrying the idea that if there is any undealt with or any unconfessed sins why did Jesus die on the cross for us? To forgive us of our sins. And he's given us the ability to go and confess our sins. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because we can be right with God at any time. And we're supposed to be. That if we approach the Lord's Supper not right with God. With unconfessed sins. Then we're in great danger. Because Jesus died so we can be pure. You don't have to go slay a dragon. You don't have to do any. You just have to accept his promise. And then after you're saved. Go continue to wash your hands. By confessing your sins and staying right with God. God desires for us to be right. Now notice as it goes on in verse number 28. But let a man examine himself so that he eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. That phrase sleep is a nice kind Bible way of saying that they're dead. The Bible says that we're supposed to take this time to examine ourselves. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And he has made it so that way I can be right with God at all times. That if I confess my sins, I'm faithful and he's faithful and just to forgive us my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And if I go to the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin, that means that if I'm not right with my parents, I'm not right with my pastor, I'm not right with a biblical authority. I haven't been talking to God. I haven't been reading my Bible. I've been grumbling. I have bitterness towards people. We could go on and on and give the list. If I have those things in my life and I know that I haven't dealt with them, then I'm in great danger. Because this is one time that God gets in a killing mood. The Bible says, because of this reason, there are many that are sick and that are weak. You know there is an idea that because of people not observing the Lord's Supper correctly. That there is a sickness. A physical sickness that comes upon some people. That God does it for the purpose that he's trying to get them to be right. He wants you to get be right. with. Why in the world would you even want to continue to have sin in your life. And not let go of it. 
when God has made it so available for you to get right. But if you want to hold on to your sin, no, no, I like my bitterness. No, I like my rebellion. No, I like my disobedience. God says, I've got to get you to let go of that. I need you to get right with him. And if I have to get you sick, if I have to teach a lesson, if I have to do something, then God's doing that of a kindness. But it's much easier for us to be right with a God before we take this. Now, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is for the local church. But there are two ordinances that God gives us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is for the health of the church by making sure that only saved people are a part of the church. That before someone can get baptized, they must have trusted Jesus as their Savior. When they get baptized, they're admitting to everyone that I've trusted Christ as my Savior and I'm willing to follow Him. So that makes it that the church begins pure. Only saved people right with God. The Lord's Supper makes sure that we stay right with God by periodically examining ourselves to make sure we're right with God. Remember that God is the head of the church and we can only be obedient to Him if we're listening to Him. And we can't listen to Him if we're not right with Him. This is made for the health and life of the church. That's why here we practice what we call closed communion. Meaning that we believe that this is an ordinance for this local church. For the health and life of this local church. So we encourage the membership to be here. And those that are members, we are encouraging to be right with God as possible before observing the Lord's Supper. So that way our church can move forward being directed by God. Because we're right with him. So as we're planning for the great end of the year. And as we're planning for a great next year. It starts with right here. With us taking our time. And examining ourselves to make sure we're as right with God as we possibly can. To make sure that there's nothing between me and the Savior. Making sure that there's nothing that can hold me back from listening to God and hearing his voice. This is a time where we need to take our time. In fact, you may need to ask God, God, I give you permission to take the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to examine every area of my life, to show me behind the, the stairwell and to see all the spider webs there, to see every crevice where things may be hiding. God, I give you permission to search me. As the psalmist said in Psalm 51, search me, cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is a time where we realize that sin is exceedingly awful. But we don't have to be in sin. We can be right with God right now. And it begins with us confessing our sins. That if there's any sin in your life, take the time to examine yourself, to search in yourself. And if there's anything pointed out, to confess it to God. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.